electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Up and up. Rates keep climbing. The 10-year hitting its highest intraday level in more than 15 years. One top market watcher is now saying this rate surge makes the market rally completely unsustainable. Plus, Apple's golden delicious day. The stock popping as iPhone pre-orders seem strong, and a host of analysts paint a bullish picture for the tech giant. We'll go inside the numbers coming up. And later, ARK Investment CEO Kathy Wood will join us. She is weighing in on her recent sale of Tesla shares, the Innovation Fund's 2023 rebound, AI, the cloud, and much more. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and Steve Grosso. And we begin with the milestone move in interest rates. The yield on 10-year treasuries briefly touching their highest level in nearly 16 years this morning before pulling back just a touch the two-year trading where it was just before the collapse of SVB. But the move higher hasn't seemed to stop the stock market. While the three major indices are basically flat today, today they're all still well in positive territory for the year. It's a phenomenon that has at least one Wall Street veteran scratching his head J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic saying the move higher in both stocks and rates is unsustainable. So will this disconnect be corrected? And does that mean a reckoning is coming for equities? Now, we play this game hmm, often. If you showed me the chart. If I told you something, <laughs> oh. you jumped the gun. how would you, you guess? You jumped the gun. Oh, what? Was, was that what you're going to say? No, I was waiting for you to ask the question. If I said the 10-year the ten, <laughs> yield was going to get to a 15-year right. high. Right. What would you say stocks would do? I would say the S&P 500 is 3,800 on its way to the October low, that equities are not trading well, that Russell small cap stocks are probably underperforming the broader market, which is getting whacked. None of the, and the VIX is probably approaching And 20. what happened today? None of those things are happening, which is really interesting. So how does it reconcile yourself with this second part of the answer? Well, it's one of two ways, obviously. Yields start to back up and equities continue to go higher or yields continue to go higher and equities figure it out. By the way... I think there's a scenario where yields go lower and equities go lower because if the equity market leads and starts to sell off precipitously, you might see a flight to quality in the form of the bond market, well, Melissa Lee. Well, and that, that's what's interesting about where rates are, because if you told me, you, you mentioned SVB, if you told me that rates are back up to where they were pre-SVB, I'd say banks probably have been rallying. And for the most part, you know, banks have been the biggest underperformer of the major sector groups. Um, Look, I love Marco's work. And in fact, I, when he says stuff like this, I listen. You know, pointing out divergences in this market is easy. Um, and we've been doing it. Marco's been doing it. A lot of people have been doing it, which it, it, whether it's the you know, leading indicators versus a Ford P of the S&P. I mean, talk about a divergence. I mean, there's all kinds of things going on. But clearly, as it relates to today, and this is a big week, this is a week where we have policy decisions in the U.S., uh, in Japan, in the uh, BOE. And you know, it was a day when actually Japanese stocks went to a 33-year high on the topics. But it was a day when equities this morning, we looked at the screens in the first hour of trading, even the first half an hour, semis, which are the leadership group, were down big. So the Correlation, equities, I think, have been trading in sympathy with bond yields for the last month. There's, there's a big disconnect to, to, to close at some point on valuations, but I, I think the stock market for the last month and a half has been paying attention. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up small caps. I mean, you know, the underperformance there, I think, 
is interesting. And we also know, again, there's there's a whole host of like financially oriented sort of names. If you look at the KRE, the regional bank index does not act particularly well. Looks like it's breaking down technically. And, you know, I, I think, again, you know, it, I think what Tim says, it's been very easy to point out divergences. It hasn't been easy to make money on those divergences. And right now, when you think about where yields, where they are relative to the, where they were a year ago and where the S&P is, it's really astounding. We're basically 4,600 versus 3,600. If you look at crude oil, was also last at these kind of levels, um, you know, about nine, ten months or so ago. And then when you look at the dollar, the U.S. dollar, the way that's moving, all that to me should not be supportive of equity valuations. It's taking note, I think, within small caps and financials, like I just said, mm-hmm. but it's yet to do that in the broad market. And I'll just make one last point. In late 2021, there were no shortage of signs that we were about to go into an equity bear market, despite the fact the S&P made a new high in January of 2022. There were lots of things under the hood. That was a big narrative that we talked about on the show. I think similar things are playing out right now in the equity markets. And if you're just looking at other risk assets away from equity markets, it should seg- uh, signal, at least it does to me, that we could be in for a period of downward volatility in the not so distant future. Are you worried about stocks, Grasso? Um, yeah, I'm always worried about stocks. But, you know, if you're Marco, I'll raise you a Mike Goldstein at Empirical uh, Research where he points out that interest rate sensitivity for the U.S. economy is really less dependent on those where it used to be more dependent. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. He's, you know, it, the, the path of interest rates doesn't dictate the market, as you all have just said. When you look at the market now, look at last week. I think the most important things that happened last week were the UAW. It was Apple. It was China. It was spilling out to the rest of tech. It was oil moving higher I don't think necessarily, oh, and, they, and then throw in there CPI and PPI. You had some positive news there that made the market react with higher interest rates, which doesn't necessarily mean that the market's going down. And then if you look at FactSet, the analytics through them, September, this week in September is historically the worst week or five straight losing days in the market for the last 73 years. That's pretty important because you have mutual funds that wrap up their fiscal year in September and in October. What does that mean? They mark up and they mark down. But October is historically the, year, the month that everything rallies back because we're going into fourth quarter. People are looking towards November and December and that seasonality. So I think this September has the outsized propensity to suck in a lot of bears, I'm not as worried as I as I think I should be on the market. I think that the historical pattern that you pointed out, I mean, that sort of brings up the, the old saying, sell Rosh Hashanah, buy Yom Kippur, because it's approximately the right timing. But what's di- different about this this market is that, you know, if, if you're worried about higher rates and rates going higher, breaking the markets, there was a flight, seemingly, to big cap technology, which then props the markets up. Mm-hmm. We saw Meta, Alphabet, Apple. Semiconductors all do relatively better uh, than the broader markets. Interesting, without question. And, you know, I go back to the carry dance, right to point it out. Bottomed right after Silicon Valley Bank went from 34.5 to 49. Here we are at 42. I think that's telling a story, number one. And some very quietly, a name like AMB, now I'm cherry picking for sure, 
That stock topped out about 138, either side of $100 now. So you have some semis that are starting to give back. NVIDIA had a decent day today, bounced off the lows. But that stock, very quietly, is off about 15% from the post-market gains it saw after they reported. So I think valuations matter in a higher interest rate environment. I think rates are going higher. I don't know how equities can be continue to be supported in a higher rate environment. The, the stocks that should do best in that environment, though, are the stocks like a Microsoft, who basically has is, right. you know, got zero debt on their balance sheet when you consider with the cash they have on their balance sheet and actually the differential on what they paid to lock in their debt versus what they're earning on their cash. I mean, these, these, they're, they're going to actually be earnings accretive in a higher rate environment. And, and so, you know, what does this mean? We, we, we always yearn for that moment where we see the breadth in the market and we can not have to fall back and mega cap tech. Um, and I've said many times, I'm going to continue to say it, I think we've seen their best days in terms of their aggregate S&P weighting. But um, everything we're talking about probably continues to support big cap tech. And, and it's not good for industrials and, and the value stocks and the places that have a lot of cyclicality. And they've, under, they've definitely underperformed. This also means that we could have a scenario where rates go higher and we're sort of at a standstill in the markets. Yeah. Because you got big cap tech propping everything higher. Well, I mean, listen, that, that's how the market's trading right now. Yeah. But I think it's important. Under the hood, again, some of the technical stuff is breaking down. I mean, Apple is the largest equity in the land, and it's breaking down. Microsoft's about to do that. If you look at, like, a Netflix, which, again, is not on market cap terms as significant as the others, it was just a sentiment leader. In the same way uh, Meta was. And, you know, that thing is down more than 20% from its recent high. So there's some technical damage being done by some of the sentiment leaders. I'll also take you, and I know we st- we've talked about, you know, these areas. Airline stocks, and, and maybe this has to do with oil, but look at the transports. When you look at what's in the transports, we have obviously FedEx is going to report later on the week. We see how poorly UPS is acting. There's a bunch of the, the freighters, the truckers, the you know, all this sort of stuff. You know, that's down about nine percent or so just in the last few weeks. So there are some things that you would normally tie to the performance of the economy in the stock market that are not trading particularly well. And I think we've been very complacent for a very long time. And I think some of us have been on, obviously me included, on the wrong side of this for the better part of this year. But the longer we go and we don't have that recession that the market was pricing in a near certainty of late last year, it's the closer we are to one. And then the market has to start pricing it in again. And I just think that going back to the start of this conversation, when you think about where the dollar is, you think of the way crude is moving, you think where yields are and where people like Guy think yields could go. That's just not supportive of equity market. And I I hear you on everything. I'll just say, though, that we've done all this with equities, um, with the dollar rallying Mm -hmm. through the roof. We've done this with yields testing higher. We're going in to the best two months of seasonality in the year. Everybody thinks September is going to be awful. Tells me we're probably going to go higher. And, and, and the fundamentals don't warrant the equities trading here. And this is what Marco said. This is what we've all said. Um, but but I, I do look at how the market has performed during a period where uh, you've thrown a lot at it. And we're starting to see the cracks in the consumer. I think we're going to get a lot more news on this. Um, but, but to me, uh, as much as I've also pointed out the relative either lack of making a new high on the triple Qs or the SMH to the S&P, they're not folding, and they're not, they're not caving, and that's, that's strong. I'm sorry, the Chevron, quickly, I mean, he's talking his book clearly, but Mike Worth was talking about the potential for crude oil to trade north of $100. I understand he's the CEO of Chevron. I get it. But the point is, his thesis is right in terms of supply-demand imbalances we've talked about for a while. That doesn't help the equation either. All right. Our next guest warns investors are in a distorted environment. Joe Lavornia was the chief economist at the National Economic Council under former President Trump. He's now chief economist at SMBC Nico Securities America. Joe, great to see you. Um, Same here. Great to see you guys. What's distorted about this environment? The fact that usual relationships aren't really working out this time around? Part of it, part of it, Melissa, and that probably explains why the recession hasn't happened yet. I mean, we had COVID. We shut down 
what effectively was a $40 trillion economy if we include the business-to-business -business part, not just GDP. And it seems like we finally now have worked through those dislocations. If you look at the global supply chains, for the most part, they seem to be normal. Uh, what's interesting to me, though, uh, Melissa, is the yield curve. It's continued an ongoing inversion. The fact the leading indicators continue to remain deeply negative with most of those series uh, contributing to the downside. And yet it seems that the narrative has developed that now we've hit a soft landing. And the point that I've been making to clients and investors is that given the lags, we're still within that window, that time frame, whereby these indicators still could be very useful. And one of the reasons we haven't had a recession probably is the fact that the government is spending a tremendous amount of money. But that won't persist indefinitely because I'd argue interest rates are very high. And eventually, as Dan was saying, there will be cracks in the consumer. So you think that 2024, we're going to start to see it. We're going to start to, to see the I, economy get hit. Yes, I wouldn't be surprised, Melissa, if we're actually seeing it now. I mean, I, I think back to 08, which was different in some ways, but also similar in the sense that when we went into 08, many economists had thought there was going to be a recession. When Bear got bought by J.P. Morgan, there was stimulative tax policy. The Fed had created this new program called the Term Securities Lending Facility. Risk was, you know, was uh, everybody was in a risk uh, on mode back in the spring of 08. And we were actually in recession and didn't know it until basically Lehman hit. So there are some parallels that could be happening now. Watch the unemployment rate. When that unemployment rate, every time since the Second World War, when it's risen half a basis point, or rather 50 basis points, half a percent from its low, you've been in recession. Joe, uh, handicap for us, the economy then. And if you were a trader, we'd ask you for levels on a stock. But give me levels on the economy. How deep? Because uh, if we're talking about a shallow recession, you can make an argument that, that, that equities have at times plumbed down to that level, tested it. And it really depends on some of the severity. The, the cracks in the credit markets are things that are very tough to read. And I agree that they're there. But yes. t tell me what you're staring at, because you're the economist. But, Tim, I don't think, look, to me, there's a recession because the indicators that have worked over many cycles are telling me there's going to be a recession. How deep it will be, I don't know. Nobody knows. It depends on what the policy response is when it happens. Had the authorities, had Ben Bernanke and, 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 and Paulson done a bit better job in figuring out how to deal with Lehman, we would not have had a deep recession back in 08. That's my view. It would have been very mild. It may have been more mild than where it was back in, in 2000. 2001. So it depends when you get there what happens. Because recessions typically are nonlinear, you get these psychological breaks. If certain things happen that people don't expect, what the response is from the Fed and the response from the government, the fiscal authorities is key. And as you know, next year, you've got a political election. And I think it's pretty safe to say it's going to be divisive. So, Joe, when you look at recessions, they're only told in hindsight. That's how you that's how you uh, you locate it. So I'm of the belief or I'm of the premise that we could have actually been in recession in December of 2022. But pull that forward. Is there a shot we're in recession right now and we've already troughed in earnings and we're bouncing from here? The problem, no. And, and it's possible we did have an inflationary recession in the first half of 22 when GDP was negative for two quarters. What's interesting, and the Biden administration said the gross domestic income numbers were better, and there's some validity to that. The problem is the income numbers now have been negative. So it's possible we're in recession. But Steve, we've never had a period where the equity market would have discounted the recession that's maybe just hitting now a year in advance, meaning the equity market bottom last October, and now we're maybe entering one. I mean, it's possible. History would say it's highly, highly unlikely. Joe, always great to get your thoughts. Thank you.
Thanks, everybody. Great being with you. Joe Lavornia. Steve, I'll ask that same question. Do you think that, we've are, that we're in a recession now? I, I think that we've already seen an earnings trough. I think we've seen inflation peak. So that would be a less of a headwind for uh, corporations. So I think earnings are actually going to get better. I think you can make the case that we've already been in recession, but the consumer cannot crack until the jobs numbers crack. And I'm not a buyer, or I should say a seller, of student loan repayment becoming this magnificent headwind because the administration still said they're not giving up on this. So I don't think everyone's going to go back to actually paying their student loans, nor do I think it's going to be enforced if they don't. Well, I, I just I, I think the, the, the keys to the household dynamics and the debt uh, interest coverage expenses, et cetera, that we've seen is that you really don't know when the consumer is going to break. What we are seeing is there's a lot of places that were very defensive. And I would go right to Staples, which have massively underperformed. They've underperformed the S&P by 16 percent. I think some of this is a consumer that's just not paying 10 to 20 percent more for a, co- a can of Coke. Are, the, are you paying 10 to 20 percent? I don't drink soda, Tim. As you <laughs> notice by what's on R, we all drink water. And, you know, this is the more you know type of thing yeah sugary drinks are not cool what anymore. if they're a diet no even worse as a matter of fact if you listen to like who's that person like the surgeon general or somebody i mean they yes. will tell you that if you're going to drink soda you might as well drink the real stuff because the stuff with the saccharin remember tab tab Excuse me? you still drink tab i know you of do of course he does man i, I keep, keep squirreling away cases you know how this we got into this conversation guy, aren't you guys oh i like fresca yeah how about a fresca yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, Coming up, uh, yeah, we're just going to go to break. (laughs) Keep an eye on Apple. Shares gaining as analysts bite into the latest iPhone offerings. So after a rough couple months, are things finally starting to turn up for the tech giant? We'll debate that next. Plus, make sure to stretch for this next one. Lulu and Nike also catching some analysts' attention. So which one is the best fit for your portfolio? The one they're leaning into when Fast Money returns. Hmm. Back in two. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your 
your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's apple picking season and Wall Street is feeling festive. A handful of firms out with bullish notes saying demand is strong for the tech company's newest iPhone 15S. Shares seen green today, climbing nearly 1.7%. So should you bite into this name now? Everybody is so geeked up, Dan, as you would say. For the USB-C port? Apparently, oh, everybody wants okay. one of these things. Well, the wait times are long. The demand is good. The only Seems odd. Is Listen, why. we've been doing this a long time. Okay, like like it, literally, the show started like right around time. the iPhone sure. introduction. It did. And like to, okay, true. and we talk about the announcements and we talk about the lead up to it. There's no such thing as super cycles. They they don't exist. Upgrade super cycles. Okay, like like, like think about that. How many times have we talked about this in the narrative? So because there's a website that shows the lead times and they get pushed out, the fact that this stock has gained you know 100 billion whatever the heck it did today, makes absolutely no sense. Now, granted, it's down, and it's been down over the last couple months for two big fundamental reasons, if you think about it, right? Their guidance wasn't particularly great. And so I just look at stock trading 27 times, expected earnings growth of high single digits, sales growth of mid single digits, and I see massive headwinds with China um, and massive headwinds towards manufacturing and access to demand in China. And I just don't see a stock that makes a lot of sense at those levels. I mean, the, only, the other thing we don't know is, is the supply level. Mm-hmm. You know, what, how many phones are Apple suppl- supplying, manufacturing? And so therefore, are these lead times true lead times in, or are they manufactured lead times? Grasso, I know you got into Apple. Are you, you're still in it, I assume. Yeah. Are you disappointed yep, with the I'm performance? Still, um, um, no, I'm not disappointed with the performance. I think to, to Dan's point, markets overshoot in both directions. So they, they might overshoot to the upside based on little little uh, data or little uh, fundamentals, but they definitively overshot to the downside last week. We're talking about a million phones maybe in China, not the 45 million phones, and they factored in 45 million. So you can't say that it overshoots just in one direction. It overshot to the downside, and that's why I picked up shares. I think that that's dissipating. I think the headwinds will probably dissipate. I think that the China negativity will fall short, and I think the stock will rally much further than where it is now. Look at the price targets on the street. They're all or mostly above $200, and I think I can ride this thing up to uh, either mid-190s or 200 both cases that we held the prior all-time high from December of 21 and that the stock actually is traded okay given the sell-off. The bear case is China spent 24 hours sending 103 warplanes, not into Taiwan airspace, but close enough where it made it to meet the press. I mean, they're not just practicing there. This China-Taiwan situation continues to seemingly escalate. The more people we send over to negotiate with China, the worse things seem to get. And ask yourself this. God forbid something will happen between China and Taiwan. It forces Apple's hand, which won't be good for the stock. Forces our hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot mm-hmm. more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Warrior Pose engaged, analysts stretching into Lululemon, saying this brand could go all upward dog. So, should you namaste in this name? Plus, Tesla on a tear this year. And money manager Kathy Wood is making some moves in the name. 
She'll join us next to break down her latest investments and where she sees stocks heading next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for our call of the day. HSBC taking position in Lululemon, initiating the stock as a buy with a $500 price target. That's almost 60 bucks above the street average, according to FactSet. Even with shares basically flat over the last three years, HSBC seeing growth ahead for the retailer, saying it could hit its long-term targets as much as a year ahead of schedule. Still, shares finished the day down almost 2%. Um, interesting. Basically, they, they said that they liked every other sports apparel retailer better than Nike because they preferred Adidas and Puma over Nike, and right. then they ended up initiating Lulu with a buy. Yeah, and there's a lot of people that are concerned about sports apparel overall. And But Lulu, you know, it's hard to, to, to push back on Lulu in terms of the company that with the leadership they have uh, in the segment. To me, I'm pushing back on the valuation, and I'm pushing out a new catalyst. We know about international. We know China was up there uh, at 61% year over year. Those, those numbers that they just reported to Q were fantastic numbers. By the way, look at the stock. It's come all the way back to uh, where it was going into that fantastic report and the upgrades that followed. To me, this is truly a stock that trailing 49 times, going forward around 33, 34 times with an earnings profile that if you look at it from 22 to 24, almost doubles. Um, and I just think that that's what the problem is. The problem is not anything with what they're doing in terms of the brand. It's the same thing I'm going to make about Nike. Uh, this valuation in this environment when discretionary where it is, I mean, I don't know how many pairs of those, those, those yoga pants, you know, that, that uh, we need. And, and by the way, the guy segment is is cool and whatnot. But I mean, you know, let's it's I'm not buying box of briefs. They're I'm tremendous. Not, I'm not buying them. Now you should look into it. I'm yeah. telling you, change the world. You feeling better? Pardon me? Are you feeling I have, better? I've never felt better. Too much information. <laughs> Listen, 405 to Tim's point. That's where we topped out when they reported earnings. We're trading 385 now. The reason I mentioned that because that was a high we saw back in November, I think, of last year. So there's obviously a technical reason is where we failed. It's not, an, it's not an indictment of the stock or the company. It's a great company coming off a great quarter. It's a valuation problem at close to 30 times, and it's a technical problem in terms of where we stopped. There'll be an opportunity, I think, to buy the stock cheaper. Coming up, we're talking with ARK Invest, Kathy Wood, the longtime Tesla bull, selling some shares last week, what she sees for the company, where she's putting her money right now. Don't go anywhere. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks giving a big yawn to the start of the week, all three indices in positive territory, but just barely. Energy leading the S&P while consumer discretionary lagged. Macy's, the dollar stores, Target and Smucker all hovering near 52-week lows, near something that hasn't happened in a while. Eli Lilly down for a fourth straight day, its longest losing streak since July. Tesla shares dropping more than 3% today. CEO Elon Musk denying a report the company is in early talks to build an EV factory in Saudi Arabia. This comes a day after Turkish President Erdogan invited Musk to build his next factory in that country. 
So what does the road look like for Tesla? Let's bring in Kathy Wood, the ARK Invest CEO. Tesla is her number one holding in the ARK Innovation ETF. Kathy, great to have you with us here on Fast. Well, I'm happy to be with you, Melissa. Thank you for, for inviting me. Uh, you know, the traders and I were, were talking here on the desk about Tesla and how your bear case for Tesla is $1,400 a share. Guy here said he'd take $1,400 because that's still pretty bullish. What What is in, let's just even say the bear case, what assumptions are made about its business to get to that $1,400 uh, by 27 number? Well, about a third of our valuation is associated with electric vehicles, EVs, and scaling them. And as uh, as you mentioned, Turkey, a plant there, uh, you know, many countries do want uh, a Tesla plant because this is the new world, right? Uh, so that's good. This is all working out. And then the then two thirds of our valuation is around autonomous and. Uh, autonomous taxi platforms. Uh, we think Tesla is in the pole position here in the United States. It has collected more data about our roads and actually other roads around the world uh, than all of the other uh, companies combined. And therefore, it has more corner cases and probably will be the company that will get people from point A to point B as quickly and safely as possible. So it's a winner take most market. Uh, so whether it's our base case, uh, it just that just means, okay, autonomous uh, perhaps takes a little longer to play out uh, or the bull case, it happens much more quickly. So even the, the if it takes longer to play out, it's still 1400. Um, and, and that sort of that seems extremely optimistic in terms of even the regulatory um, green lights that Tesla would need for autonomy. It seems also, you know, that the model where Tesla owners would own their cars and then they would go out and earn them money during the day yeah. by driving people around. That also seems sort of optimistic uh, in terms of the uptake of that, Kathy. So, you know, for two thirds of the valuation, do you feel like that there's risk even around the bear case at all with the two thirds? Well, um, actually, the risks are going down because regulators are very data driven. And what regulators have been experiencing, especially in the transportation sector, is that the number of auto deaths in the United States have gone up, has gone up during the past five to 10 years from 30,000 to 45,000 after decades of falling thanks to auto safety measures. So the National Highway and Transportation Safety Board and other transportation authorities want to turn that trend back down. Why has it happened? A lot of it is because of texting and therefore a disproportionate number of young people are dying in auto uh, accidents. So the data supports what Tesla is doing. 80 to 90% of all accidents on the roads are caused by human error. If you take the human being out of the equation uh, and um, and use AI to get people from point A to point B as safely as quickly as possible, um, I think the 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 authorities, the regulators, are going to be persuaded 
by the data. In fact, they already have been in terms of the fatalities in uh, in Tesla's cars. They examine them. They say not Tesla's fault for the most part. And oh, by the way, uh, people driving in Tesla cars are 40% plus safer uh, with autopilot and FSD than mm -hmm. in other cars. So, Kathy, right now I think Tesla's about $850 billion company. Next year they'll do about $125 billion in revenues. Your math suggests a four-and-a-quarter trillion dollar company. What revenue growth would be commensurate with that type of market cap? In other words, where will revenue be by that time? So it's not just revenue growth. If you uh, And EVs are taking share at an accelerated rate from gas-powered cars. And uh, Tesla is evolving factories. I mean, Elon has said, I'm a manufacturer of factories faster than any other uh, auto manufacturer or tech provider out there. Uh, so we think that uh, that side of the equation, they've got down. The, the key here is autonomous, autonomous <laughs> margins. So you mentioned revenue, but margins are more important. Auto margins, EV margins, are in the 20 to 30% range. This is gross margins. Uh, autonomous is a SaaS model, software as a service model. Those margins alone are in the 80% range. So it's not just revenues. It is margins that are going to deliver upside surprises. So to get to five, we, we have uh, Tesla, yes, going to $5 trillion in market cap. And many people, when we first put this forecast out, said, that's crazy. That's impossible. But then Apple got to $3 trillion, And now everyone's saying, wow, winner take most or companies uh, that are doing uh, something highly differentiated actually can uh, get to those kinds of market caps. So our revenue growth, uh, our revenue growth is in the 50% plus range over the next five to 10 years per year as EVs uh, take over the market from gas-powered vehicles. Hey, Kathy, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. And, you know, you're talking about five to 10 years, at some level, an extraordinary long time uh, to be looking out and, and modeling back. But uh, this is part of how you invest. And if I look at the Innovation Fund, uh, you know, it, there's no question that you are investing for the long term. And I guess that's my question. H how do you think about um, short term tactical versus long term being invested? And, and, and for investors who, who own your fund and who, who look at performance and you've had some great years, you've had some difficult years. Uh, this fund is down 1.32 percent on average over the last five years. Um, the stories you're talking about are long term growth, exciting stories. Help us understand that a little bit more. Well, first, let me put in context that uh, five year number, because you know, our expectation is that we will deliver uh, a 15% compound annual rate of return over the next five years. Why did that not happen over the last five years? Uh, the biggest reason is an increase in interest rates 23-fold over uh, not more, much more than one year's time. Never seen that in, in history, actually. And that uh, that interest rate increase was very difficult for any long duration strategy, including long term bond strategies. Bonds had their worst year in 2022 since the 1700s. Bonds are usually supposed to protect investors. 
but when interest rates are jacked up by 23-fold, this did not even happen under uh, Chairman Volcker in the early 80s. He, his uh, yields went up twofold. This is 22, 23, 24-fold. It was going to be a, a killer for our kinds of strategy. We think they've overdone it. And we do think the next big set of moves during the next during the next year, I would say, uh, are going to be down. Uh, and if interest rates, the fear of interest rates going up and interest rates actually going up hurt our strategy that badly, then I would expect the opposite to happen uh, the other uh, the other way around. So so that so now your question about how do we think about short term uh, disruptive innovation is inherently controversial. You've got the old guard take uh, the auto industry. Uh, when we first started modeling Tesla or when we started ARC in 2014 and we were putting out our forecasts, you know, everyone dismissed them. Uh, electric vehicles weren't going to be a reality in any kind of meaningful sense for the next 10 to 15 years. That was wrong. And we were right on that. Uh, but because it is so controversial, we get great trading opportunities. And so you will see us uh, buy Tesla when everyone is hating on it. It will remain our largest position uh, because we think the autonomous taxi platform opportunity is the biggest uh, opportunity from an economic point of view in the next five to 10 years, delivering eight to 10 trillion in revenues in the next five to 10 years from basically nothing now. Um, and then on the other side, when everybody gets really excited about the possibilities, we know there's another. Uh, there's going to be another controversial moment. So we will take profits and we will trade around. So yes, we do have a short-term trading strategy around the controversy that our innovation platforms cause. Kathy, always great to see you. We hope you'll come back. Thank Kathy you. Wood, ARK Invest. Thank you so much. Thank you. You can hear more from Kathy Wood at CNBC's Financial Advisor Summit in October. That's October 12th. Scan the QR code to register or visit cnbcevents.com slash FA. Let's trade this, Stan. Well, it's interesting. You know, listen, um, as automotive margins have come down dramatically for this stock from 25.5% last year to, I think, 18 or so, and probably on the way down, there's more price cuts that are coming, okay? The, the goalposts have shifted. Like, you know, we talked about the avid Adam Jonas note, about the supercomputer, about Dojo, about robots. I mean, it keeps getting more sci-fi. Again, this is an auto company right now that trades with an $850 billion market cap that doesn't make a lot of sense with declining, I mean, literally declining mar uh, market share and declining margins. That is what it is, okay? But when she talks about the opportunity for this stock to reach four or $5 trillion, it's based on autonomy. Right now, Waymo and Cruise have level four autonomy. Elon's been talking about level four autonomy. We were supposed to have it by his predictions a few years ago. They don't have it. They don't use LIDAR. Waymo and Cruise use LIDAR. When you talk about regulation and the ability to get autonomous taxi fleets, they're going to have to have some technology that the regulators feel comfortable about. I don't know if anytime soon they're going to feel comfortable with something that doesn't have these LIDAR sort of, um, you know, cameras. like cameras on them. And so to me, if that's a big part of this valuation, I think it's dicey right now because they've been wrong on the direction and the speed in which they were going to hit level four for years.
Coming up, options traders arm wrestling over arm holdings. Shares twisted lower today. We'll hit the options pits for their next move. That trade is next. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are still waiting on details for the Instacart IPO pricing. Let's get to Leslie Picker to see where we stand at this point. Leslie. Hey, Mel. Yeah, final pricing decisions still underway for Instacart's IPO. I'm told they could come within the next 45 minutes or so. It's been a long road, of course, for the grocery delivery service, which filed an S1 confidentially 16 months ago. But when the market took a turn amid higher interest rates and a sell-off in tech stocks, Instacart ultimately put its deal on ice. And ultimately, Instacart set terms that market its deal at a quarter of the valuation it received in a private round two years ago. Investors feeling like they got a good deal put orders in, and demand was strong enough that Instacart raised its price range by $2 a share. That means it will likely price at the high end of the new range or above, uh, but those things can be uh, can take some deliberations, and that's what's going on right now. So the majority of the offering has already been claimed by cornerstone investors, including Norges Bank, TCV, Sequoia, D1, and Valiant. That leaves a very small float to sell, $260 million for institutional and retail investors to buy at the IPO price, less than 3% of the shares outstanding on a fully diluted basis. So we'll see if the structure of this IPO, you've got a down round, a significant cornerstone investor component, a profitable company, and a single class of shares Maybe that makes that IPO palatable in a still uncertain environment, but we'll see, Melissa. All right, Les, thanks, Leslie Picker. Meantime, arm shares falling 4.5% after analysts at Bernstein slapped a $46 price target on the stock. That's 20% downside from today's close. Options contracts also started trading today. For more on what they are saying, let's get to Mike Poe. Mike. Yeah, so normally we talk about the multiple to the average volume. This being the first day, we don't have that, but it was the 45th busiest single stock option, and we saw puts outpacing calls by more than two to one. Most of the activity, October puts, the busiest contract, the 50 strike puts trading over 11,000 contracts at $1.33 a contract. The 52 and a half and 55 strike puts were also very active. So we're looking at some volatility for the next month or two, at least. Mike, thanks. Mike Coe. Uh, Steve, you've been trading this. Yeah, any stock that goes from 55 when it comes out on the first day to Roughly $68 is a trader's paradise. And then if you look at the volatility, Melissa, up and down, um, it's obviously in a declining trend. So I don't think you should necessarily invest in these names, but this really creates alpha for a trader to really build around those edges. I plan on trading Instacart tomorrow as well. I expect that to be very volatile. All right. For more options action, tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, summer's over, but don't put those shorts away. The chart master joins us next with a handful of timely shorts. (laughs) 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 Not literally, obviously. Uh, And here's a sneak peek of the Kramer cam. Jim is chatting exclusively with Oracle CEO Safra Katz. Catch the full interview top of the hour on Mad Money. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Instead of our favorite game of So Bad It's Good, where we take a look at some names gearing up for a breakout, today the Chartmaster has a couple of stocks that look attractive from the short side. Let's dive in with Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, what are you looking at? You bet. So I thought I um, might single out uh, two names that are great winners. I mean, heretofore great winners that have all the elements uh, 
of rolling over, meaning slippage is the word that comes to mind. So uh, again, massive outperformers since the COVID low, triples and more, and now showing all the hallmarks of distribution, bearish price volume correlation, poor relative strength, um, et cetera. Let, let's look at the first of two. Uh, this is Ulta, a name known to all, uh, a retailer, uh, always considered a growth stock and uh, often considered by many quite expensive. Uh, and, and you can see here, of course, this is a $20 billion company that basically went from 150 to 500 a share coming off the COVID low. Uh, but day to day, this action, again, has all the hallmarks what I would characterize as a bullish to bearish reversal, heretofore strong and now starting to roll. Now, by contradistinction, look at the second uh, of two uh, this evening. This is um, Amdocs. This is a sort of under the radar IT services, but again, 10 uh, billion market cap. And here too, we have something that basically was trading in $40 plus minus the COVID low and made it up to 100. But now also breaking trend, also showing all the characteristics of distribution, which is to say a stock that acts poorly day to day in terms of relative performance to the market and in terms of absolute performance having broken trend. I think if you're long either of these, you want to take measures that would be to trim, reduce, or write calls, if not just uh, come out altogether. And for those who do engage in short selling, uh, these are two candidates. Carter, thanks. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. What do you think of this uh, handful of shorts? <laughs> guy. Valuation obviously is going to get in the way of a number of these stocks. Again, some like Alta, for example, everybody loved the stock when valuation didn't matter. This was lower left, upper right. Valuation is concerned. Now you've seen it sort of struggling. So I'm with him. And the fact that he can use heretofore well, correctly. I was waiting for him to for you to casually. break into whilst. It's almost a great time. No, it's, Carter it's, trumps my what? Heretofore <laughs> trumps whilst. I think so, too. Yeah, I agree. I think so, too. Well, on Ulta, I think you have a case where this was a stock that was in the sweet spot coming out of COVID. The valuation wasn't terribly challenging. I think you've gotten to a place where it is. Um, I, I think if you look at like beauty pricing normalization, this is something that's also starting to come back. Um, I think you look at discretionary and, and I, I just we've spent time talking tonight about the consumer. I think we've seen a peak. I think whilst is also trumped by heretofore. Yeah, well, he said, right. it. yeah, no, he did. Yeah. I, I give Carter his props. He's on he's on the Mount Rushmore. On of the, technicians, but also of, of just a grammar No one tells Life. a story like Carter. No, you know, he kind of slows it down for you. He kind of gives you, you know, to the penny. He kind of delivers. <laughs> you know? Up next, final trip. Trade time, Steve Grasso. Kathy Wood said that uh, Tesla is a winner take most. That leaves an awful lot for Rivian to take. It's been riding its 50-day higher. I think it gets the 30 sometime soon. Tim. I like gold here, and I think it's been very defensive in this environment. GDX is the way to get three times your moving gold. GDX. Dan. Yeah, if Kathy's selling at 270, she's got a $1,400 price target. I'd be a seller too, probably. It's been a busy week, Mel. It's a good thing we're going to have your steady hand on the rudder, on the till, the entire week. I'm leaving town. What? I'm what? Back next week on assignments, folks. Valero, VLO. <laughs> Thanks for watching Fast Money. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. 
All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.